Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. We see this little word do in the rest of the Bible as well, but we often jump ahead and go to underline big words like sanctification and justification and miss this incredibly important word do. Uh, The parable in Matthew about the two sons um, in the father's vineyard exemplifies this doing is what is important to God. One son says, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to go, Dad, but does go and do the work. And one son says, I will go, but doesn't ever turn up. Jesus goes on to ask which of the sons did the right thing, not which son said the right thing. Um, because to Jesus, the important thing is doing and not what was said. The important thing is doing the Father's will not the idea of doing our own earthly works that we might think is important, but the Father's will. In James, we've got this same challenge. Are we going to be doers of the word or are we just going to be hearers? It's important to note, because there's five guys called James in the New Testament, that the James we're talking about here is James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is pretty significant because as a brother, um, Jesus would have been known pretty well by James. Um, And... It also would have taken James an incredible amount of faith to come to believe that his brother was the son of God. Um, It was a faith that grew in James after Jesus' death. At the cross, we hear of James' deep sadness as he reflects on the way he mocked and teased Jesus um, throughout their life for the claims that Jesus made. But after Jesus rose and showed himself to James, James fervently repents and commits to being a bond slave of Jesus. And we see some of this outworking of this statement by this letter right here. So I'm going to specifically read verses 1 to 3 just again for us to get us, um, and then we're going to look a little bit deeper into them. What quarrels and what fights, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Human nature is sinful. We are all so aware of this fact. We see and we feel it every day. We see that our sin affects people around us and we feel other people's brokenness hurting us. It's our passions and desires warring inside of us that cause this sin. Some things that we might covet and desire for ourselves, more money, power, authority, I'd like more holidays, um, comfort, recognition, these are things that we want. And you guys catch my drift. I'm sure that there's things that each of you are thinking over in your own minds. You're like, if I just had this, I would be so much more happy. So around the time that James wrote this letter, um, the Jews were super focused on their own wealth. It was a key concern for them because they were being hounded and chased around from country to country and had no place to settle. They were always looking for professions that would suit this way of life. But this focus on money and business is dangerous. 
Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 6:24 by saying, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will despise one and love the other and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve God and money." We also hear Jesus's warning of how difficult it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. What God is calling us to in verse 3 is to be like him, to think like him, to be burdened by the things that burden his heart. 2 Corinthians talks about how we become what we behold, what we look at, what we gaze at, what we choose to set our eyes upon. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same things, into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Verse 4. Wow. This is a challenge to the Jerusalem church and to us today. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with God is enmity with the world? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Are we set apart for him? This is a searching question for each one of us now. Do you and I care more about being liked, being a friend of this world, agreeing with what the world is saying and doing? Are you and I a friend of God or a friend of this world? Let's pause and think. God wants us to be fully his. There's no half-hearted friendship here. No one likes that friend that comes and goes who isn't constant. Verse 5 draws out how God's spirit that dwells inside of each of us is jealous for us to be set apart from the world. Exodus 20, we're back in the context of the, great, um, the Ten Great Commandments. Verse 5 says, You shall not bow down to any other god um, and serve them. For the Lord your God, for I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God going to repeat that because I mess it up a bit. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. This is what he says over us. In the Ten Commandments, we see a window into God's jealous heart and his heart's desire for a faithful, loyal, loving people. The message of James 4, 1 to 5 is a God crying out for his people, asking us, will you pick me? Will you be my friend or are you going to be a friend of the world? Repent from your adulterous ways. Stop worshipping those false idols and come back to your first love. God is so kind. He hasn't left us alone in this. As the great commandment declares, you will, will, will. There's nothing about it. You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart. He has promised he will do this work in us. Our part is saying yes, saying no to our earthly passions and yes to our God. Verse 5 reminds us that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us live this out. And the challenge I want to leave us with now is, will we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us 
to be set apart as friends of God. All right, Morris, keep us going. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, what a privilege it is for me to be up here and, and sort of share a little bit about James and what it means to me. Um, this morning, I'm just going to talk about uh, chapters 6 to 12. Um, before I start with that, though, I just want to ask a couple of questions of you. Has anybody ever bought a Bunnings or an Ikea flat pack? <laughs> There's a few of us out there. Okay. Has anybody ever tried to put that flat pack together without the instructions? <laughs> oh, a couple. Yeah, well, that'll be me. I always try and have a go because I think when all else fails, we use the instructions. You can ask anyone in my family. I've always tried to have a crack at that and failed. You know, we've had some great messages um, over the few weeks uh, of James. Um, when Murray spoke on week one, he talked about humility, um, temptation and trials. Um, and he related something from a, from a story, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Murray, um, about getting caught in a rip and his days at the beach um, and how quite quite several, quite many times, I think you might have been caught in a rip. And then Murray took the next step to learn a little bit about rips, um, learn how to read a rip and even how to use a rip. Um, that made me reflect a little bit about my childhood and my journey. Um, you know, when I was a, a young fella, my Sunday mornings were spent at the beach. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't in a church-going family, but we would go to the beach on a Sunday and I was in a, a little nipper. So I got to learn about the rips, um, how to use the beaches. Then as I got a little bit older, I got involved in the surf club um, quite actively. My weeks were spent a couple of days a week training um, at the beach. Saturdays were at carnivals, Sundays at the beach. And you know what? After some time, we had this attitude that we sort of owned the beach. We had this mentality that every grain of sand was ours. We used to put the reef oil on and strut around <laughs> with not an air of humility um, and no need to look at an instruction book because we thought we knew life. We thought we were all over it. And I just thank God that he, he removed the scales from my eyes um, and made me understand that we need an instruction book. And I certainly wasn't all over it. So for me, James is a bit, book, bit like a book of life, how we should be doing it. So I'm just going to read, get my phone going. Okay, so I'm looking at verses 6 to 12. So just bear with me, I'm going to read it again. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Do you find you ever read something in scripture sometimes and you don't actually fully get it? Happens to me quite a bit. So when I look at this, grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I must admit, I didn't at first get that. Sorry, having never done this before, I now realise why sometimes phones aren't that ideal. Just excuse me for a second. I'll... Okay. You know, when I look at that, those, those verses, but that change your laughter to mourning. God wants us to be happy, I'm sure. He wants us to be salt and light. So what does that mean to me? You know, I, I looked at that a few times. And I thought about James being the brother of Jesus, growing up in that environment. And then when Jesus said he was the son of God, I'm sure James had quite a turnaround to be able to deliver a letter like this, full of humility and full of instruction on how we should do life. Because I'm sure, as Lucinda said earlier, you know, what would James have thought when his brother was saying he was the son of God? I think sometimes we need to get down on our knees, humbly before God, before we can get back on our feet before the Lord. A good example of... I think this turning your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom, I think it means taking things seriously. Being dead to your old self, having the recognition of our sinful ways. In Romans 8.31, it says, If God is for us, then who can be against us? I honestly feel if we are truly not for God, then we're against him. Do we want to please God and have a relationship with him? Or do we want to go it alone as if we're in control? When we hand things over to God, he'll lift us up from the miry clay. As I said, God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be a beacon of light and of hope. If we're boastful and brash in our ways and in the world, we're not recognising the grace that God has for us he wants us to repent and then he wipes the slate clean when you look at judgment as in those verses how often do we as Christians 
judge those around us? How often do we judge our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? We can be judgmental as Christians. We need to humble our hearts, repent of our ways, sit in a posture of humility, and then repent. And this is not a one-off task. James is not saying this is something we just do once. It's a daily transition. Can you imagine a courtroom judge? Would he be flexible with the law to a truly repentant person? Or to somebody that's sitting there full of their own arrogance and maybe full of their own boastfulness, not repenting? Do you think that judge would use the full extent of the law? I think so. I think the legal term for an unrepentant person is being completely without remorse. There's certainly no humility or acceptance of actions in that term. For me, I think that's what James is really telling me. Just about following a life of humility. Um, and I think Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, makes that clear to us. Okay. Donna. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Donna, if you didn't know. Mother to three, mother-in-law to three, Nonna to nine. <laughs> and I'm really nervous. Um, thank you, Lucinda and Morris, for what you said, because uh, so many things jumped out at me just from hearing what, what you have thought about those verses in James and, and what we've been looking at over the last number of weeks. Um, my reflection um, on James is going to be a little bit about uh, where I'm at at the moment and what's been going on for me in relation to the verses that um, I'm looking at today. So um, I'll just read the verses that um, have been assigned to me. It's chapter 4 and it's verses 13 to 17. And it says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money, while you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Um, I have actually uh, looked at these verses in the Living Bible, which I don't actually have a copy of, and I'm not quite sure why I went to. It's not something I would normally do, but... Um, I do like verse 16 in the Living Bible. It says, um, instead of saying, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. It says, otherwise, you will be bragging about your own plans and such self-confidence never pleases God. And it kind of, that just kind of hit home to me, uh, really about God's like, yeah, well, that's not good. Um, and then in verse 17, it says, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And the Living Bible translation just says, remember too, 
that knowing what is right to do and then not doing it is sin. Um, so these are the verses that I've been looking at and I'm really just going to give you a little bit of um, testimony of what's been going on for me, uh, I guess really, you know, in the last oh, little while. Um, so when I read the word of God, I do it with Holy Spirit, seeking to hear from God and experience him. Sometimes by revelation, God revealing something to me that I didn't know or perhaps didn't fully understand. Sometimes by understanding more of his character and his love for his people, his love for his creation, his story, the story of his people, of which I've been adopted into a bit, of which if you've given your life to Christ, you've been adopted into through Jesus' death and resurrection. Sometimes it may be a word from God, a direction from God, an encouragement or even a rebuke, but it's often a kiss and a, and a love. Um, when I read James, um, I feel both elated and convicted. Uh, do I look in a mirror and then forget what I look like? Sometimes the answer is yes, and I'm referring to God's word. Do I tame my tongue and understand that every word I speak matters and can create and build up or be destructive and tear down and do the enemy's work for him? He doesn't need any help. My answer to that is sadly yes and no. There are times when I do not check myself and, my, and destructive words do flow from me. These are just two questions I ask myself when I read the book of James. There are many more, but I trust that as I continually go back to the word of God and read and listen, ponder, ask questions about and pray and pray over and worship God in thankfulness and praise that the sanctifying, there's that word, uh, work of the Holy Spirit will move me forward on my journey with God and I will experience him in greater measure and more of that character of Jesus will be seen in me. Whilst I do not think I have ever been someone who has boasted or ever made great plans, or ever actually had great plans, uh, I do have and have had deep desires in my heart. And Psalms 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So I'm going to take him at his word in that. One of the desires that was in my heart uh, was family. Um, I always wanted a family of my own. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, goodness me. Um, I come from a large family. Um, and it took me a while to realise that that was what was in my heart. Uh, I think it's something that God puts in all of us, uh, seeking to bring us into his family. <laughs> Many years ago, God gave me a word that he would build the house. And I believe it was twofold, that he would give us a home and build our family. I do believe that God, oh, pardon me, I do believe that God appoints and puts ambitions or goals 
into his people's hearts to accomplish great things for him and in his name. And I also know that God sometimes asks us to do things in obedience to him which may not make sense at the time and will not always be understood by others. Um, I've recently... uh, I love people's stories and I've recently read a book... um, about a man called Reese Howes. Um, he was an intercessor. Uh, and uh, his life was very interesting and the journey that God took him on. Um, I encourage you to look him up. And uh, also Arthur Stace. I've recently read his story. And again, a, a completely different story. Um, but a life uh, lived out well for God. Um, I have not always walked well with the Lord, but he has been very gracious, kind, patient and merciful to me. Picking me up, dusting me off through my repentance and his forgiveness. And I think uh, with James, that idea of humility and and us humbling ourselves towards God so that we're ready to move onward with him. So what are the plans we make? Well, I know we're not guaranteed tomorrow. As I get older, the reality of that becomes so much clearer. And James, uh, the verse 14, tells us in no uncertain terms, you're fog, you're mist. So any plan that I come up with, I will always want to be in conjunction with God, making sure that the plan is his and for him to provide the resources. I do not want to be like the rich fool found in the parable in Luke 12, where he built many barns filled with his wealth and God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I really don't want to be like that. Um, About two years ago, uh, John and I felt the Lord encouraging us to bring our son, Simon, into our business. And so he joined us about 18 months ago. Uh, He currently lives on the Central Coast with his family, so it means a lot of travel for him. And uh, we've been for 12 months or more seeking to extend our property uh, to allow room for Simon's family to move in. And we are trusting God in this. However, so far... We found every way you can't extend our property uh, in accordance with the regulations and everything. Um, Anyway, just recently, we've lodged a DA uh, with a small proposal on it. Um, Still have more reports to do (laughs) just for it to be accepted. But anyway, we're trusting God in that process, Um, that it be his plan, his timing and our obedience. Sorry, I don't know what you call it, but it's emotion. Anyway, um, 26 years ago, God brought John and I here to Dural. It was all God, and there's quite a story that goes with it. Um, so we know we, we can trust him with our future. When I look at verse 17, 
If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Or in the Living Translation, remember too that knowing what is right to do and then not doing it is sin. It makes me think of missed opportunities. Um, Perhaps not immediately praying for that person who needs prayer and they may not even know it. Um, I can say I pray for you and pray for them right there and then. Um, But often I lack the boldness and courage so the moment is missed. Like anyone, there have been opportunities for me to do the right thing or the good thing today, which could have had kingdom or eternal implications. Yet I have not hit the mark. Or I may not have even tried. I am no spiritual giant, but that's just it. I don't need to be. We don't need to be. There are many spiritual giants amongst us, I must say. Um, I just need to be available and obedient to God to be his agent and bring his love. The only way I'm going to flow in this is to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary did. Spend time with him, set aside the things that distract me from him because as God's word says, this is far better. I suspect I'm a bit of a Martha, not to cast dispersions upon Martha. I'm sure she came to understand that giving Jesus her full attention was the only way to go. Through this, God reminds me of how far he has brought me, both spiritually and physically. I read a quote this week written by Bob Bob Goff. And if you haven't read his books, they're a good read. Uh, He says, We are aiming for happy, but God is aiming for holy. We will hit the target that we point our hearts at. I think this is what the book of James is doing. It's aiming us for holy through calling us to come near to God and growing us in our faith and deeds. John and I have recently been camping in the book of Jeremiah. Well, that's a cheery tale. Um, Jeremiah was given a tough gig from God. He was the prophet no one wanted to listen to. He spent 20 plus years telling God's people to turn back or they would be sent into exile. And even in this, God gave him a message of hope to give them. In Jeremiah 24, 6 and 7, God says, I will build them up, not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. Will I be faithful and obedient to the things God asks of me? Will you? I hope so. Just as an aside, today as a family, uh, with John's brothers and their families, we're having a celebration (laughs) of John's dad. Uh, Brian Wallace Williams was his name, and he went to be with the Lord. On the 31st of December, 2010. Oh, sorry. He was parvy to his grandchildren and he came to faith in the Lord Jesus 
when he was in his 40s, reading the Good News Bible. I also know that he had a praying mother who I'm pretty sure had her roots in uh, the Welsh revival. He was a man that showed his faith in God through his deeds and was always happy to share with others just what God had done for him. He was a wonderful example of a man who put his faith in Jesus and was a great encouragement to his family and all who knew him. I'm going to finish with uh, Psalms 19, verses 7 to 11. And it's from the Living Bible Translation. It speaks of God's perfect law, and it's short and it's sweet. God's laws are perfect. They protect us, make us wise, give us joy and light. God's laws are pure, eternal, just. They are more desirable than gold, they are sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. For they warn us away from harm and give success to those who obey them. I pray that we will all walk in the light, the love and obedience of our Lord Jesus and see the pouring out of his Holy Spirit in our midst. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.